this very room there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for a spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very There is one eternal life. This life is God's life. This life is perfect. And this life is my life now. And I know in this moment, in this blessed moment, there is an anointment. There is an elevation, an awakening to that which is magnificent and is happening right here, right now, by means of you, by means of me, by means of all that gather in this community. I celebrate that the evolution and the elevation in love is inviting us to know what faith is for. That being, the faith is the belief that every situation is to show me what love is for. And so I recognize in this moment that I am receiving information. I give thanks and know that Christ consciousness is here for he who gives the lesson today. I celebrate that Christ consciousness is yearning to be known. And is but the prayer, the affirmative prayer away, the knowing away, the belief away. And so, invoking this, inviting this, I celebrate that there is Christ consciousness here right now. I celebrate that there is a pristine wisdom, a pristine consciousness. I give thanks for the awareness that I have. I offer a blessing, knowing that it is done, and in saying thank you, I merely move into that vibrational frequency of complete acceptance. And the veil is lowered here. For truth and love flow in ways that I have yet but to dream of. These symbols that our words strive to capture, yet the truth is love is. And I say thank you. And I let it go, for this is the state of surrender. And I know and I invite you to join with me in anchoring this for yourself by saying, and so it is. Thank you, Reverend Carmian. Reverend Carmian Owen, the senior minister at the Saskatoon Center for Spiritual Living. Yes. I'll be with you in a moment. So welcome. Those are our, that's our awakening humanity to its spiritual magnificence, a world that works for everyone, and to teach and live love. So, we're going to do the two or more right now. And the reason I picked elephants is because I'm talking about the mind here in the Science of Mind in the Center for Spiritual Living. 
and we're going into our new uh, class curriculum. And you know, elephants, they never forget. So many of us are like elephants. And there's the two or more. There's a couple of them. And so I'm going to invite you to find someone to stand up with. And I've scripted it up here. If you don't know what the words are, just look somebody in the eye, hold hands, if you're comfortable enough. If not, you can just simply make eye contact across the room. And the first thing we say is, thank you for being here. You have gifts to share. You have power to reveal. You have potential to fulfill. And you have love to share. Namaste. Give him a hug. Nice, nice, nice. So that's a very powerful thing to do. It's a very simple, powerful practice. And if you have a prayer partner in your life or someone that's near and dear to you, Laura and I have, have, have adapted more and more of these, these simple practices into our lives because... And next week, I'm going to talk about the four things that will add 10 years to your life. Very simple, four simple practices. And uh, so you don't want to miss that. <clears throat> and admission is free, so there you go. So today, I want to talk about this idea of our amazing minds. The mind, as the Buddha said, the mind is everything. Now, this isn't just, you know, a new idea. This is 20 centuries of the mind is everything and what we think we become. And Ernest Holmes knew that idea, and so he developed the science of mind. So we are very Buddhist. I've had a number of people over the years, many of my teachers have said we're, we're, we're very Buddhist in our approach to spirituality. But the mind is truly everything. So our amazing minds, this morning I want to talk to you about adversity's impact, because adversity is such a... And is in, the, in the climate we're in, and here we are 9-11. It's 9-11 today. Celebrate 15 years ago, the 15th anniversary of 9-11. And so how do we get to those points? Why, why do these things happen? And to track it back, and I think, and to have a, a little bit of a roadmap to look at and say, how do we, am I participating in the problem or the solution? <clears throat> because we're philosophy of oneness. So the first idea is the adversity's impact. The second is the magic of meditation. And the third is mind is the brain's master. Mind is the brain's master. So our amazing minds, adversity's impact. There has been, uh, we, we, are live, we live in a time that is so blessed with information. And there was a study done in 1999, the most comprehensive study ever on the impact of adverse childhood events. It was done by Kaiser Permanente. And Kaiser Permanente is a prominent uh, health facility and a group, a body of hospitals and, and researchers. But they did the most, they had done it in bits and pieces. But in 1999, they did a comprehensive study of the adversity, adverse childhood events. <clears throat> and they looked at the forms of adversity. So they looked at eight of, eight of them. They looked at sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. They looked at witnessing the abuse of the mother. They looked at divorce. They looked at separation. They looked at criminal behavior. They looked at mental illness. And they looked at addiction. And what they found is that in maltreated children, the brain development can be reduced about 10% if there's enough of the, the factors involved. <clears throat> the second part of the study that they did so it was comprehensive is they, um, they studied 17,000 individuals. And it was an entire cross-section of the United States population. So they felt like they had caught, captured the, uh, you know, each demographic well. <clears throat> and in that, 64% of the adult population... 64% confirmed one of the adversities in their lives growing up. One of those eight that I just read to you. 64% had that. 
40% had two, and 13% had four or more. So adversity is common, and it's, most, it's shared amongst all of us. 80% of addicts come from the adverse childhood events that we know from the studies they've done now. So when you look at, at things like the, the 9-11, and you look at things like um, uh, this beautiful guy that's running for the presidency of the United States, and you realize he's, he's, he's boosting his popularity, and in the polls it looks like he's catching up to his opponent. But it gives you a bit of insight in when we come from a, a place of anger and frustration and lack and limitation competition, I mean, if you think about building a wall, wasn't it interesting that the, the, the Russians and the, and the Nazis built a wall a long time ago, and then it was quite an event when the wall came down, and here we are talking about a wall again. But what it represents in many ways, thank you, in many ways is just this idea of, um, of fear and uncertainty and, and clinging and not, not standing in faith. But when you understand that 64% of the population has been impacted in some way through an adverse childhood event, you can understand when some of those things, when those buttons get pushed, when those things get triggered. Not that it's good or bad or right or wrong. I mean, you know, one of our beautiful members said to me a, a few weeks ago when I was talking about a situation, he said, you, never, you wouldn't want it to be any other way. I thought, what a great way to look at it. We wouldn't want it to be any other way. Because really what it does is it gives us an opportunity to see that part of ourselves that can, can play those things out and realize, well, do I get to do that? Do I want to do that or not? But many people don't have the capacity to think that way. So adversity alters the structure of our brains. And they know that through the studies that they've done now. The old idea used to be amongst researchers up until the, the advent of the 21st century was that once it happened, it was done. There was no hope. That your brain was set in the way it was, there was no way to change it. And we know that's just not true anymore. We know now, we understand, and we have the research to support and verify that the brain has a life of its own. And that change is not only possible, but it's happening all the time. We are always influencing and impacting our brains. Most of the time, it's willy-nilly. It's random. It's not that sense of Dr. Holmes used to say, to, to learn how to think is to learn how to live. But the problem is, with, with, with people who have gone through these adverse conditions, they lack focus. And so all of their, their, their thought process is all over the map. It's one of the hardest things to do. It's one of the first steps. So, with adverse impact, adversity's impact, so here's a picture of the brain. I don't think, know if you can read it all, but both sides have parts to play. The, the red is the info processing. On the left brain, it's process info in a linear manner, and on the right, it's processed holistically. And there's not, neither one of them is wrong, but when they work together, it's quite phenomenal. The two, or, the two uh, orange ones on the uh, left brain is <clears throat> identities, important details, and on the right, see and, re see and result with clarity. See and result with clarity. The, the lime in the middle is analytical on the left, and on the right, it's creative. But we know these things. Well, what happens with the, the adversity many times is it gets shut down. Those capacities get sh shut down. So the magic of meditation, what does meditation do for us? And here's Mandy who's got this movement and Christina did a beautiful meditation for us. Ma meditation is so powerful. And I want to give you a little bit of statistics that came out of this research about adverse childhood conditions and why we teach classes. See, we're, we're offering classes right now. We offer meditation on Wednesday evenings. We offer it before service, not because we want to get together and be good meditators, but we understand the impact of it. The, the Buddhists have understood this for 20, 20 centuries. So in the brain, 
There's two major mechanisms that, that relate to this. I mean, the brain is phenomenal. It has many, many beautiful mechanisms, but two specifically that address this. One is the brain has a mechanism for new learning and new functionality, and it's called the hippocampus. So the hippocampus, I think we should all get T-shirts that say hippocampus on eventually, and a little picture of a brain. Hippocampus is one of the most remarkable areas of the brain. The hippocampus is the grand central station of new learning. Anybody here been to the grand central station? It's pretty cool. But that's, that's where it all comes together. That's the, one of the hubs in New York City. And it's very dynamic. But the hippocampus is where that new learning or skills are required. There's, when we generate new neurons, this is how new learning is possible. We generate new neurons. The brain just does this. But if it's willy-nilly direct, directed, they're willy-nilly neurons. So when we're more clear and intentional about it and consistent, we have these brand new baby neurons and they make their way up to the areas where it's most important, where they've been directed. So if we have a situation in our lives that, that is uh, impactful, just the, our inherent nature is to direct baby neur- neurons to that area of the brain that will help support whatever the situation is. But, but what happens is when, we're, when it's willy-nilly or it's, it's been an adverse situation, then all that, all that the, the mind directs the brain the mind directs the brain of what the function is that we're trying to perform right now. So if it's still based on fear, then of course the new baby neurons reinforce the idea of fear or lack or limitation. So they make their way, these new baby neurons make their way up to the area where information is stored and insert themselves in the appropriate areas of the brain where they're needed for the new learning, whether it's positive or negative. It doesn't care. It just says yes. Remember Dr. Holmes said it doesn't matter. The law always says yes. Our brains always say yes to whatever we give it. As above, so below. So in other words, the demands of our environment give these new neurons their assignments. So if we're stressed, those baby neurons go in there and they help us. They can help us deal with the stress. But if certain things are shut down, they can't. So new learning, so like things like, so what happens for us in, the, in this process is that there could be new learning. And I'm not talking new learning like t- two plus two is four. I'm talking about things like we've, we've had these adverse childhood experiences where all of a sudden you realize, you know what? I'm a pretty good person. You know what, they're, they're, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not broken. I, I can learn. I can change. I'm not stuck. Those are all significant because those things start to light up. I have, the, I have gifts to share. That's why we do that every week. We're not doing this because it's just a, 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 an activity. You have gifts to share. Look out in the world. You have power to reveal. You have potential to fulfill. You have love to share. This is so true. I did a visioning with the teen group, the, the uh, family and youth ministries this week, and talking about the impact that this church, this philosophy has had on these young lives. It's amazing. It's just remarkable. And sometimes I lose sight of that because of the busyness of it. So we have this hippocampus, the Grand Central Station, and what it does, based on the stimulus of the exterior or what our minds give it to do, it, it takes those new baby neurons and it directs them and plugs them in where it's appropriate based on who we are. And the second part of the mechanism, the second mechanism, it's very complex. It exists in the neuron, in the brain, and that's called the epigenetic. And the epigenetic that helps us turn genes off and on in order to move forward. So for an example, they did a study with rat pups. They took the rat pups and they they removed the nurturing, the maternal nurturing from them. And then they studied their brains. And what they found was is that, the, that the, the epigenetics of the rat shut off everything that was connected to nurturing. 
And when that was shut off, the stress levels within the rats ran rampant. There was no way to control stress. So stress went crazy. And so the rats started demonstrating the behavior of being mentally ill because there was no way to manage stress because that, that epigenetic was shut off based on the lack of stimulation, the lack of nurturing. What they found also is when they reintroduced the nurturing, all of a sudden, the epigenetics turned that switch back on. That's why, it's so, that's why we teach affirmative prayers, why we teach affirmations and positive ideas and possibilities. Because what happens when we switch it on, all of a sudden we switch it on, and maybe for the first time in our lives, all of a sudden there's a new conversation going on. And some of the learning is then to realize that's not true for me anymore, but there becomes a competition. And if we're diligent enough, all of a sudden the new ideas have a, a larger space in our experience. It's called waking ourselves up. The Buddha, they asked the Buddha, they said, are you enlightened? He said, no, I am awake. So it's very important how we reparent ourselves. It's very important how we live our lives. It's very important that, see, because the adversity changes our brains. And this affects our moods. The physical brain is ch changing all the time. But with, with what we, our, our way of approaching spirituality, our way of approaching spirituality, it takes time to unravel this. In the research that I, I pulled from uh, this, this uh, lesson from, it said it takes about five years. It takes about five years to retain, and a consistent work. And what happens with meditation in meditation, the Buddhists, they understood this. This has gone on for 20, 20 centuries, at least. So what happens, and here's, here's Mandy. I love that. That's, look at the synchronicity of this. Here's Mandy Trapp that's come in the door. And, but I'm talking about meditation, and her mission, one of her missions in life is to introduce meditation to the children in Edmonton. Get it into all the schools. should be part of the curriculum. I would agree. I would agree. We're going to change the world. You know what? Let kids meditate for 10 minutes a day. Well, let's really live it up and go 20. But, but the point is, is that after four hours of meditation, if you've never meditated before, after four hours of meditation, you know what starts happening? Now it can be 10 minutes a day until you get your four hours in. That's 240 minutes. So maybe it's 10 minutes a day for 24 days. Doesn't matter. It's cumulative. What starts to happen is we, we start to be able to focus. Our capacity to focus gets better. Or and I, we watched a... a, a a series called Last Chance You, and it was about these football players playing in East Mississippi, and they'd all flunked out of school or whatever, but it was a, it was a junior college, and it's famous, and they've been the, wor the, the, the world champs or national champs for three or four years running. But most of these kids come from environments where they were traumatized, and they followed one of the stories with a young man who lost both his mother and father through violence. They were both killed. Through a, uh, uh, and, and it's a horrific story, but they both died. And it was, it was a violent experience. And this poor young man is trying to study and be in school so he can play football. He can't focus. He just couldn't focus. And I thought, oh my gosh, is this guy a candidate for meditation? I wanted to call the coach, say, coach, I'll come down and teach meditation to him all. And maybe I will, but I'm sure that there's, you know, that, that would take time to probably, and maybe not. But it was a prime example of how this young man's mind could not focus. So after four hours, focus improves. After 11 hours, 11 hours would be uh, 300 minutes, wouldn't it? Or is it 3,000? One of them. But 11 hours. 11 hours, the brain tissue starts to muscle up and bulk up in the areas where it's been depleted. It starts to grow and come back after 11 hours of meditation. And so 
all of a sudden, now you can really start to pay attention to what you want to pay attention to. But, you know, when Ernest Holmes says to learn how to think is to learn how to live, for many people, if you can't focus, how can you study? How can you read? How can you pay attention? And many people say to me, I can't meditate. I, I, my mind's too busy. It, it's too uncomfortable. And I'll say, well, it's probably the very reason why you need to meditate. It's going to be okay. It's okay to slow down and be quiet. It really is. So meditation is so powerful. And to have it in our life. So you sign up for a class here. One of the first things we do in each class is we meditate. Because it helps us settle. And and in the group, it's more powerful. I know many of you experience that. I started it. I I was at the point. I was at my wit's end. I was in my early 20s. And I finally went and, and... and enrolled in transcendental meditation because it was, it was easy to get into and I had friends that were doing it. And the first time I sat down and they gave me my mantra, I had a mystical experience. And, and I just thought, there's something to this. That was really strange what just happened to me, but there's something to this because I was so ready. There was a Russian man there with me, I'll never forget, and he and I are sitting in the waiting room, both a little nervous, we didn't know what was going to happen. I'm holding an orange because he had to bring a gift, you know, and I thought, this is strange, i got to bring a gift to these guys, I don't even know these guys, i got to bring them a gift. <laughs> you know, if I, all the reasons not to do it, and this Russian guy looked at me and he said, a little peace of mind would be good. That's all he said. <laughs> I said, I'm with you, man. Kept me in the room. I don't know his name, never saw him again, but a little peace of mind would be good. So our minds, our mind is the brain's master. And we know this. This is why we teach affirmative prayer. You know, in our, in our class curriculum, we have this beautiful foundations class. Reverend Tammy's going to be teaching our class. We're honoring our practitioners today. This is Practitioner Sunday. But in our class uh, curriculum, it says, the journey is heading in one direction, home. Back to your spiritual being. The pre- the the precious cosmic self which dwells within you and waiting to be recognized and appreciated. Although we're heading all in the same direction, our pathways are as unique as, as we are as individuals. No two people will process the information in our classes in the same fashion. No two will. It's true. I've taught now for 20 years. Everybody's experience is different. I tell people all the time when they're struggling and they, and they start to project that the problem is that I'm, I'm a deficient teacher, I'll say, well, a good student can learn from anybody which they don't usually like, but it's true. Because you can't, you, you can't, we can't do it for one another. But that's okay. The beauty of the process is that each of us can and will get home if we're open to the process and diligent enough to continue on the path. It says right here, as your teacher, I want you to know that I am not anything approaching the ultimate authority. I will guide you with all the wisdom and clarity that I can muster, but I can only give you my own perspective on this material. And of course... That's enough, because we trust one another. There's a divinity. When you step on the path, all of a sudden, when you sign up for a class, all of a sudden you're sending the message to the brain. The mind is sending a message that we're ready to do this study. So light up over there. Get very, get very intentional about working with this brain that got shut down. See, we're not stuck in this. If you have somewhere you're deficient or you have a tendency to, because of an adverse childhood event, do something that's not healthy because that's what happens when we meditate. All of a sudden we start waking up and we realize, oh, wait a minute, now I can decide. Negative influence, positive influence. Do I want to hang over, out over here with negative influence or do I want to step into positive influence? Do I want to take a class with people, like-minded individuals who are waking because there's a power in it, there's an acceleration in it? Or do I want to just sit over here and, and complain and puel and all that stuff that, I, that I'm very good at? 
Now, I'm just speaking of my own experience. It was hard for me because I loved doing that. You know, it's a, very, it's a very popular idea, gossiping and complaining and comparing. And com- you know, I don't know if you've ever done it, but I, I have a PhD in it, actually. So mind is the master. It's the brain's master. We become more aware and astute. We focus on the areas of the brain that we want to bulk up. Isn't that fascinating? That we can train the brain. Training our brains. That's what we're doing. And we train our brains through our minds. That's why Ernest Holmes said science of mind. So the practices. Resiliency practice. You know, I'm showing you these cute little baby animals for a reason. You know what this is? is if, you, if you're struggling with your emotional resiliency, if you Google uh, baby animal images, it reinforces your emotional resilience. I'm going to talk about it next week. And it also, the other way to do it is if you're standing outside and there's a window, look inside the window. If you're standing, and if you're standing on the other side of the window, so if you're standing inside, look out the window. If you're standing outside, look in. And for whatever reason, it reinforces emotional resilience. It's very simple. All these simple little practices. We need three positive stimulus an, an hour for every negative uh, thought we have. And it can be like, like Laura and I. We have a, this beautiful granddaughter. We call her Smoochie. It's not her real name, but she's Smoochie to us. And so we pull up pictures of Smoochie. If it's a busy hour, better look at Smoochie three times. Simple, simple practice. Why wallow in, the, in that race consciousness of fear, lack, limitation? You are here for a reason. You and I are here for a reason. We have the luxury and the opportunity to be part of this. And the lives are being changed. Our lives are being transformed. So simple and, and impactful. Here's my little, one of my favorites. There's a little Buddhist monk. I love this little guy. It's another picture that I adore. That's like, a, isn't that beautiful? Huh? There he is. He's just doing his meditation. So one of the things is quietude. Having quiet meditation. Quiet meditation to build our focus until our focus becomes strong enough so we can look inside and watch the rising up of thoughts and feelings. That's what meditation does. Wow, look at that. Look at that bubbling up. Sometimes in meditation, I'm like, I thought I handled all that. Well, maybe not. There's another layer of it. But see, now I don't have to dive into it and I don't have to have the battle. Now I can step back and go, yeah, I could do that, but nah, not. I'm going to go over here. I was at the football game yesterday and I got to invite it to Glen Rhodes' suite, which he's the president of the Eskimos. It's beautiful. It's like, oh my gosh. And I bring in this food and you sit there and you watch the game. So Len sat down with me and of course, the home team lost in overtime yesterday, but it was a great game. And Len was saying to me, you know, we play a lot of music here at the stadium. And he said, 40,000 people usually, somewhere in there. He said, you know, and 50% of the people say the music's not, is too loud, and 50% say it's, it's not loud enough. And I said, that's just like church, Len. You should come and be the music director. Everybody's got an opinion on the music here. I know that. It's a beautiful, but that's life. You wouldn't want it any other way. But, you know... There's nothing to fix there. If there I mean, we, can, we, we want to do the best we can. Here's beautiful Martin today doing this music. It's beautiful and wonderful. Do the best you can. I tell people, well, come next week. It'll be different. It always is. So quietude. But having that, 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 that practice in our lives doesn't have to be a lot. Minimum effective dose, 10 minutes a day. And eventually we start to be able to focus better and focus better. And after a period of time, we're regrowing our brains. 
And then we can get very specific as we work with a practitioner, because it's practitioner Sunday and we're honoring them today. So what's a practitioner here? Our practitioners are sitting in the front row. Here's Arnie Polson, and there's Reverend Carmine Owen, who's all practitioner first, as I am. Sandra Gibbs, Elaine Warwick, Sue uh, Sue Edwards. Um, Now I start naming them, and I'm not going to name them. Now I'm in trouble. All of you beautiful practitioners over here today. We're going to honor them at the second service. Reverend Tam and ba- Tammy Banting's right over there. A practitioner is a person of high spiritual consciousness and deep understanding who is trained in the art, the science, and the skill of spiritual mind treatment. So they've done en- enough of their own interior work, enough meditation, enough setting an intention, enough follow-through and commitment and devotion to their own awakening that they can support you wherever you are in your life into helping accelerate and activate some of those those um, epigenetics in your, in your brain that have shut down. Because people have given you stories in a domestication that aren't true about you at all. But people, parents give us the best they have. And if our parents have been, been deficient in, in their domestication, they don't have it to give. They don't have it to give. My dad was a great, great guy. I've done all my forgiveness work around him. I celebrate his life and I know what he was doing. But man, he didn't have a lot of spirituality to share with me. There was no wisdom with my dad. We never once sat down and had a heart-to-heart talk about life's mysteries. You know. And, and, and he just never had, he didn't have it in his wheelhouse. You know, he was one of those guys that went over and fought a war and he came back and never processed it. He was tripwired for anger all the time and rage. But I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be so devoted to my own journey it hadn't been for him. I wouldn't want it any other way. And I love him. And now I get to do my own spiritual work to help purify my own, that, that epigenetics of that family. And for him and the generations to come. So we, we go into quietude and then we start sorting. Beginning to discern harmful from beneficial. We begin to direct the brain when something or someone is triggering us. Develop that capacity to step back and switch to the positive modalities. It's like I told Len, I said, what do you do when people complain about the music? He said, I just listen. I said, yeah, good idea, me too. What else are you going to do? Because people have their opinions and they're, and they're right. But I mean, it's impossible. You cannot please everyone. It's impossible. I thought I could for a long time. And then I realized, not my job. I can't do that. Let's focus on something more interesting. It took me a long time to get there. Now I just thank people. Thank. And it's valid. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean I don't care. I mean, there's certain things that's not my responsibility and not yours. We can direct our brain to go in, in those areas of the brain damaged by negative adversity. Isn't that powerful to know? That if you have a compulsion to do something that is negative, you can actually direct your brain. You can get, work with a practitioner here. So I want to accelerate this because where two or more are in agreement, it is done. It accelerates it. And you partner And it's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. That's why we offer the affirmative prayer at the end of service. There's practitioners right now that are holding space in affirmative prayer for us as we we have this discussion. 20% of Canadian youth, I heard this on the radio, I was putting this together, 20% of Canadian youth have considered suicide in the last year. 20%. Isn't that fascinating? But it's alive in the world. We've all had experience. Why Why would a young person want to end their life because there's so much suffering going on. Or think about it. We're doing something. We can do better. See, the world needs us. The world needs us crazy dreamers that believe it's possible that we can have a world that works for everyone. Maybe we'll never get there, but let's at least move in that direction. 
Little kids who have been abused have no problem feeling negative about anything. They have no problem. They have, pro- they have problems moving into the positive. Isn't that fascinating that we've, we've gifted our, our generations with this? The activation of the, the affirmative circuits have been connected. When we start to wake up, we activate the true awakening of the individual, the feeling, the soul arising. And so we can direct it. This is what Holmes was talking. This is what the science of mind is. I'm choosing this. I'm not there yet. I need help. I need a class. I need a prayer partner. I need a practitioner. I need to read another book. I need to have spiritual practice in my life that keeps me on the path of rewiring these circuits that got shut off for whatever reason. And it doesn't matter a whole lot why they got shut off, but you may have to process some of that. You may have to do some forgiveness work. That's why we had Esther Nicholson come in and talk about this. So quietude, sorting, directing. So here, isn't this amazing? I found a picture of Tammy Banting's twin sister online. (laughs) There's Reverend Tammy right there. You have gifts to share. You have unique gifts. There's never been another one like you. There'll never be another one like you. And so how can you direct that, the circuits that are shut off to activate so you can live more in your gifts? You can do it by setting an intention. You have power to reveal. Not power over everything, but empowered in your own life. Talked to one of the mothers the other day, and they said that their, their, their children went through teen group here. And she said, I have parents from the other side of town call me and want my daughters to come over and babysit their children. Say, you know, it's a 45-minute drive. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. I'll come and get you. Because they see them in action. You know, the proof is in the pudding. You will know them by their works. Power to reveal, potential to fulfill, and love to share. Mind is everything. We, what we think, we become. Go shine your light. Beautiful blessings. And so it is.